SRN New. Faith Talk 570 WTBN Pinellas Park and 910 WTWD Plant City. It's time for Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. There is a point in time in which we come to Christ for salvation, but the process always begins when we come under the conviction for our sin. God shows us how sinful we are. We're not just a little sinful. We're totally infected with sin. We're contagious. Everything about us, that's what the Bible means by total depravity. The judge asks the criminal, are you sorry because you got caught or are you really sorry for what you did? That sums up the difference in the way we look at repentance. Some people are just sad that there are consequences to bad behavior. They don't regret what they've done, and they don't understand that they have offended God by their rebellious heart. God wants us to be disgusted by our sin. He wants us to be desperate for His cleansing and His life-changing power. You're listening to Verse by Verse Radio. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel, is doing a series of messages on the God who comforts the depressed. I hope you've been listening to these messages and getting a lot out of them. Maybe you don't realize that you can listen again and even download these messages at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Now, here's Pastor Steve with today's message from 2 Corinthians. Now, in light of this, what Paul does in these last few verses is he uses himself as a living illustration to reveal how God encourages believers when they're down. And that's what we want to look at, and that's what we have been looking at, as Paul gives us several principles about how God lifts us out of depression. We've already looked at one of these principles, and we began to look at the second one last week, and we're going to continue with that this week. But the first principle God uses to encourage depressed believers is simply he renews broken fellowships. And folks, basically what this simply means is this. It means that you and I know one of the most disheartening things in life is to have broken fellowship, is to have the anguish of a severed relationship with someone you once loved, someone you once walked with, someone you once were close with. Now it's, it's broken. I can't think of anything more painful in life. I can't think of anything more painful. To be estranged from someone that you still love, that you still have feelings for. On the other hand, I don't think there's anything more exhilarating and thrilling than having that fellowship restored. And that's what Paul is so, so excited about. That's what Paul experienced. And you and I must never lose hope that God is going to deal with people who are estranged from us, that there would be repentance, or maybe that, that it's in our lives that we need to repent. Because I, I have found that whenever you speak about repentance, people think about all the other people who should repent towards them. So we want to keep that in mind. But never lose hope that God can restore a relationship that's been severed by sin. We never do that. He did it with Paul and an entire church. He can certainly do it with, with us and those who we are distant from even now. But how does he do that? How does God bring about this restoration of fellowship? Well, Paul tells us, and this is where we where we sort of uh, got into and left off last week. He not only restores broken fellowship, but he does it by this. He produces repentance in sorrowful Christians. That's how he brings people out of depression. Those they've been estranged from come back to them, and it's a wonderful experience. And he tells us this, and I'm just going to read it and then comment 
a little bit on it, but then really get into verse 10. He says, for though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Now, obviously, the recurring theme in these verses is that Paul's letter, known to us as 1 Corinthians, had caused the, this church great sorrow. And Paul said he's glad about it. And we looked at this last week, and we concluded that he was not glad because they were sorrowful per se. He, he didn't rejoice because people were hurting. The sorrow that, that they had led them to repentance, and that's why Paul was glad. In other words, Paul's joy was over their repentance. It's just that the sorrow had to precede that repentance, so he was glad about that. And in verse 9, he states that God was behind their sorrow. This didn't just happen. God was behind it. He said it was according to the will of God. Literally, it's according to God, meaning God was in this. In other words, God had worked in their hearts, and God had brought them to the place of grief over their sin that led them to repentance. And that's always the way it is. Nobody musters up repentance on their own because we are wicked sinners, dead in sins and trespasses. If there's any repentance in an unbeliever's heart, it's because God has granted them repentance. Unbelievers cannot repent in and of themselves, just like unbelievers can't believe in and of themselves. We're dead. God does the first, uh, God makes the first move and he, he grants repentance. And that's what Paul is saying here, that God worked in your hearts and brought you to faith. But as a believer, he did this in your life because that's the norm in a believer's life. We repent. Now, in verse 10, Paul clarifies that the sorrow that they experienced was different than the sorrow that non-Christians experience. And that's what I want us to study a little more today. There's more on my heart to share, and then we're going to get into verse 11. But let's look at verse 10 again, and I want to want to focus on this. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Two types of sorrow are presented in this verse, two types. Number one, you, you have the first sorrow is the sorrow of God-given grief over our sin. This type of sorrow, Paul says, produces repentance, which he says belongs to the realm of salvation. Literally, in the Greek language, it does not say leading to salvation, though that is certainly true. It, it, a better way would, would be to put it this way. It produces repentance, which belongs to the realm or the sphere or the dominion of salvation. What he's saying is that repentance goes with salvation. It's, it's part of the, part of the package. And either initial salvation at the time of our conversion, we had to repent, or else it also belongs to salvation's realm in the sense that, that the repentance we have gives ongiving, uh, ongoing proof that we are true believers and have been saved. Now, the other type of sorrow is what Paul calls the sorrow of the world, meaning this is the sorrow experienced by non-Christians. That's, that's what he's talking about. It does not lead to salvation. It eventually, he says, leads to death because it, it has no redemptive value. 
it, it doesn't do anything for us spiritually. It, it, it doesn't produce repentance. It doesn't lead to salvation. It may relieve us of some tension and stress, but it has no spiritual benefit in our lives. That's what he's saying. And, and eventually, if people just have this sorrow and don't repent, they will die in their sins and go to hell. It leads to death, has no redemptive value. Now, as I told you last week, this type of, of sorrow comes in many different forms, but not to be confused with repentance. It can involve sadness about getting caught. There's some people who are horribly remorseful and weep bitterly, but it's more of a frustration. It's more of a, a sorrow because they were caught and they're frustrated because they would have liked to have gotten away with their plans, but now everything's messed up because they got caught. That's not repentance. That's not the sorrow that leads to repentance. Sometimes the sorrow manifests itself in that uh, we're, we're sorrowful and sorry for the consequences of our sins. There's a deep remorse because we see that our sin has damaged other people and it's damaged ourselves. It may have caught us our jo- cost us of our, of our job or uh, the, the joyous family relationship we once experienced. And we're very, very sad about that. But once again, that's not the sorrow that leads to repentance. That's just sorrow because I feel bad what my sin has caused. Sometimes this sorrow manifests itself in the sense of being sad uh, because of shame, embarrassment, being ashamed of my behavior, and I feel so bad about it. But that's all it is. That It doesn't get any, any, go any further than that. This type of sorrow, and mark this, is always bothered by sin, but on a human level. There's never a divine level. It's just a human level. That's all it is. It only thinks about how my sin affected me, how it affects other people. That's it. It is not bothered by God's attitude towards the sin. There's no vertical relationship concern about that. And you know who's an illustration of this in the Bible? A man who I remember preaching through Genesis and mentioning this man, and he really bothered me. I got to tell you, Esau bothers me. Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a single meal. Now, birthright might not mean a whole lot to you. It meant everything to him. It's the covenant blessings. It's why the Jewish people in God's sovereign plan, it's all part of that, that they are the covenant people and not the Arab people. Esau sold his birthright because he was hungry. Guy's a despicable character, I got to tell you. But in Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, we have a divine commentary on Esau. And you'll see what I mean, that the Bible condemns him greatly for this. In God's sovereign plan, I want you to know, it was to be Jacob. It was to be Abraham's line through Isaac and Jacob. But that still does not relieve Esau of his wicked uh, behavior and his responsibility. But in Hebrews chapter 12, notice this. The writer is, is warning this church made up of Jewish people not to be like Esau. It says in verse 16, that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. That is, after he gave up his birthright, he wanted it back. 
And God said, no, no. So what did he do? He had a little temper tantrum. It says this, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with tears. Now, you read that, and it looks like the Bible is saying that he wanted to repent, but he couldn't. He cried out for repentance, but God said no. That's not what it means at all. Esau's tears were not repentant tears. They were not the tears of a repentant man. He didn't seek repentance. What it means is he was crying because he sought the covenant blessing with tears, and he did not get that. These were tears of frustration, not tears of repentance. Tears of frustration because he sold his birthright for a meal, and God said, that's it, you don't get a second chance. And he cried and cried about it, but it didn't change God's mind. Esau was a man who had worldly sorrow, frustrated over what he had done, but he didn't repent. On the other hand, godly sorrow, that sorrow that that leads to repentance and salvation is characterized by a deep sense of anguish over our sin. We understand that we've sinned against the holiness of God. We have sinned against the Almighty. And even if it doesn't impact anybody else, it grieves us because it has grieved God. That is the kind of sorrow that leads to repentance. In fact, this is why Old Testament repentant believers, you you read about them, they're dressed often in sackcloth and ashes. Now, we don't do that today, but what did that mean? It meant that those were symbols of mourning and anguish about having sinned against the Almighty. They demonstrated it in an outward form. That's why Job said to God in Job 42, verse 6, after God rebukes him for uh, for Job thinking he knows what's going on. He doesn't know what's going on. And he doesn't really understand about God. Job said, I repent in dust and ashes. After God said to him, in essence, were you there when I created the world? Do you know everything? You, and, and Job just said, I repent in dust and ashes. That's all. How about the repentant Ninevites? They repented at the preaching, I might add the reluctant preaching, of Jonah. Jonah did preach reluctantly, but the Ninevites repented in Jonah's day, and they mourned over their sin. And it says they mourned as they put on sackcloth and they sat on ashes. And by the way, this is what Jesus meant in the New Testament, though he didn't use the term sackcloth and ashes. It's the same thought. He said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. The mourning he's talking about is the mourning for sin. Blessed are those, and he's talking to believers, who mourn because of their sin, who have a sense of deep anguish over their guilt. They'll be comforted, and only they will be comforted. Now, I want to stop here and apply this because I think it is absolutely critical that we understand that repentance is an essential ingredient for coming to Christ for salvation. No one ever came to Jesus Christ for salvation who didn't come with a repentant heart. That's absolutely so imperative that you understand that. And let me put it this way. All those who come to Christ come by way of repentance and faith. Repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. They go together. There is a point in time in which we come to Christ for salvation, but there is a process that leads up to this. And the process always begins when we come under the conviction for our sin. God shows us how sinful we are. We're not just a little sinful. 
we're, we're totally infected with sin. We're contagious. Everything about us, that's what the Bible means by uh, total depravity. Every part of us is depraved. Even if we don't behave as, as wickedly as we could behave, we are fallen in every part of our being. And we come to that realization, maybe not in those terms, but we see how wicked we are and we're sinful and, and we're convicted and we, we then move from conviction. We grieve over our sin. We're bothered by it, not because it's just we've messed up our lives, You may indeed be bothered about that, but primarily you grieve over your sin because you recognize that God is holy and you have sinned against the holiness of God. And finally, we turn away from our sin as we turn to Christ to save us. That's that's in a nutshell the process. When I came to Christ as a freshman at the University of South Florida, I didn't know these terms. I didn't know the term repentance. I didn't know conviction of sin. I didn't know what that, what that meant. But I knew that I was a sinner. God had showed me that I was a sinner, and I knew that I didn't want to continue in my sin. I knew that, that I, I hated the way I was living, and I didn't want to continue living that way, and I came to Christ. I didn't understand all of this, but that was I came to Christ because God had worked in my heart, and I didn't want to continue the way that I was living. See, when God brings about repentance, and he alone is the one who grants that, we mourn over our sins. Even if you don't understand all that's going on, you mourn over your sin, you hate your sin, and you turn from your sin. That's, that's what's involved in all this. But there are many individuals who attend evangelical churches in America who claim to know Christ, and yet they have never repented of their sin. And I emphasize in America because if you go to other, to other countries, foreign countries, and you visit Bible-believing churches, they understand repentance. They understand this issue. In fact, I am told that in, the, in Russia, uh, the word repentance is just used synonymously for being saved. If someone is saved, they are, they are a repentant one. It, it's all part of the whole deal. They understand that. But in America, in our evangelical churches, because we don't preach repentance or we've distorted it or watered it down, there are many individuals who are either members or identified or associated with evangelical fundamental churches who have never repented of their sin. They never hear about this. These are the folks, and I am very, very concerned about folks like this, and this is why I'm preaching this today, that they feel, they tend to feel like, I've asked Jesus into my heart, I'm safe. That's all that matters. I've given a few words of invitation, and some counselor told me I was saved, and that's it. And I don't need to be concerned about anything else. I'm going to go to heaven. I can live any way I want to live, and uh, Christ died for me, and that's all that matters. That is not what the Bible teaches. Walter Chantry, in his book, Today's Gospel, Authentic or Synthetic, refers to people like this who profess to be Christians but live like they're non-Christians. He speaks of those as those who add Jesus as personal hell insurance for the world to come. That's it. Jesus is your hell insurance. Here's a ticket. Get out of hell free. That's, That's basically what it boils down to. But those who believe this way are not saved. They are not saved, and if you're in this category, I don't want you to be deceived into thinking you're saved. I don't want to stand before the Lord 
and have him say, Steve, you, you never preached on repentance. You had, you had hundreds of people who listened to you week by week, and you didn't warn them, and you didn't tell them, and you, you were responsible as their shepherd. So I, I'm, I'm telling you now. In fact, I'd like you to look at John chapter 3, John's gospel chapter 3. In John's gospel chapter 3, we're given the most famous verse in all the Bible. It's John 3.16. And John 3.16 tells a person, in summary form, how to be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But that's not all John tells us. He tells us how to be saved, but a few verses later, starting in verse 19, we're told why men and women are not saved. Why aren't they saved? Look at verse 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light. Why? For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. John, John is telling us that People are, don't come to Christ because they are not willing to forsake their sins that have been exposed by the light of Christ. That, that's the bottom line. That's it. Oftentimes, because I'm Jewish, people will say, how come, can you explain how come Israel, for the most part, and the Jewish people even to this day, uh, have rejected Christ? It's the same reason why, why most Gentiles to this day have rejected Christ. Men love darkness rather than the light. And they can come up with all kinds of reasons why they haven't come to Christ. But the real reason, the real reason is because Jesus exposes their sin and they're not willing to repent. That's, that's exactly why Jewish people as well as Gentile people don't come to Christ. That's, that's why. They would prefer to walk in darkness so they continue, can continue carrying out deeds of darkness. So how do you know if you've ever really repented of your sin? How do you know if you, if you have truly been born again? Don't ever assume that you are because you were raised in a Christian home and you prayed a prayer and you've been in a church like ours for many years. How do you know? Well, one of the proofs, one of the proofs that you're really saved is that you continue to repent of your sin on a daily basis. In other words, you feel bad when you sin. You're grieved about it. You're bothered when you sin, and you confess your sin to God. And confession of sin is not simply saying, God, I'm sorry that I did this. Confession implies that not only are you sorry about it, but you don't want to continue. It, it always is uh, involving a repentant heart. Now, you may still struggle with that particular sin, and you may fall into it from time to time. In fact, you may fall into it a lot, but you hate it. As a believer, you must hate it, and you want to forsake it for the sake of Christ. If you don't have that attitude, you're not a believer. If there's not repentance in your life on an ongoing basis, you do have a legitimate reason to question whether you really have come to Christ. It's important to understand that repentance is not a one-time experience that takes place at your conversion. It's not that at all. It only starts at your conversion. It starts there, it begins there, and then one of the proofs that you have truly been converted is that you continue to repent over your sins in your life as you grow in the Lord. In fact, that's part of the growth process. The Lord shows us all the time how sinful we are. 
he didn't show me my sin on an ongoing basis, I wouldn't have much of a prayer life. I mean, this is, this is kind of the heart of it. Jesus is so much more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. The gospel is so much more than fire insurance. God truly wants to change everything in our lives so that we can become more and more like Him. We're so glad you're listening with us today. Isn't the Word of God amazing how it challenges us every time we study it? That's the purpose of Verse by Verse. We desire to share the clear teaching of the Bible with as many people as we can. Have you given any thought to helping us do that? We're looking for partners to give to this ministry in order to keep us on the air and reach even more people. You can call us at 727-239-0306, write us at Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758, or you can even give online at versebyverseradio.org. We'd love to hear from you, just to know you are praying for us. For Pastor Steve and the staff, this is Jerry Pruden saying, thanks for tuning in to Verse by Verse. Deepening your faith. The Lord came to call from heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. Don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way. But now I know. Question. In your defining moment, does God know? Faith Talk 570 and 910 WTBN.